relax. It's time to be super chill and accept that the universe has brought you to Skeevland. I'm your host, Alan McDonnell, and Skeevland's guest for today is Cheyenne Benedict. Cheyenne's world conquest started in 2003 with a women's t-shirt line called CNC California. The CNC business plan included a provision that Cheyenne and her partner would make a fortune within five years. That fortune showed up early in 2005. Everybody wants to know how something like that happens and what happens next. Here are the answers for free on Skeevland from Cheyenne Benedict. Our soul calls for stuff, you know, so just because something's, you have a particular bank account that gives you some flexibility. I've just, I have been a creative my entire life. Did you and go to school for? I did. I actually have a. I have a. I have a very fancy degree from NYU in experimental theater. Okay, let's <laughs> see how it played out. And uh, so fashion was actually always my fallback jobs, because I know it's hard to believe, but there's no money in experimental, experimental theater. theater. <laughs> Nothing in that. I know that's really shocking, <laughs> but. Um, they use like 14 people in the audience, and, <laughs> and the audience is on yeah. the street somewhere. And by the and way, every single every single show you do, it's the same 14 people because <laughs> there's only 14 people that like that stuff. And they're not billionaires. And no, they're not. Yeah. No, but I can say that. How old was I? I was doing a show. It must have been 1995 at the Kitchen mm-hmm. in New York. I was working with a theater company called the Ridge Theater Company. And um, it was called Matthew in the School of Life. And there was three of us playing the lead character of Matthew, which was a, 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 ro- a android, an android angel who had, like, fallen to Earth. And every single moment in the entire show was pre-recorded. So everything was body and lip-synced. And at times there was, like, 120 samples per second. So it was really fascinating. Yeah. But afterwards, Iggy Pop had been in the audience, and afterwards he came up to me and was like, you were amazing. And I was high for like a month. Like, <laughs> yeah. Right? I was like, I just kept on saying to everybody. You're high I- right now Iggy from Pop. I know, right? right? Like, it's not how many years later. I, I see you. You're, you're about to... I got <laughs> the best the compliment I ever got. <laughs> it was like a really good one. I've never one. seen someone so high in my house. Right. <laughs> No, and that was a hundred years ago, and I'm still carrying it forward. I would carry it. Yeah, it was yeah. a good one. That's fantastic. That's a really good one. But no, but so your challenges though, right? Like, how do you? Well, I okay. And was so it easy? Was it easy? Was there was there a period? No, where... I mean, especially. Well, there's so many layers to that question. Um, okay, so first of all, as a woman, that's a whole other weird thing. So, like a woman who, I was. First of all, I was obsessed with being, I was obsessed with a woman by the name of Janine LaBelle who had a company called Stila Cosmetics. And I was obsessed with the Juicy Girls Mm because they had just sold their company to Liz Claiborne. And so when my ex-business partner and I decided to do something together and we decided to do these t-shirts within the first 30 minutes, I said, okay, and within five years, we were going to sell the company to Liz Claiborne for X amount of money. So that was like day one of our conversations. Mm-hmm. Like those words were like magically sent out into the universe. So you didn't and just fall into it. No, I was like, I really was, obs- I thought, I had it in my mind. I was obsessed with this idea of being a chick who sold a company. I thought it was such a badass thing. And there's a part of me that just, whether I like it or not, it is really driven with the idea of being an example for other women, especially young women, of what is possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this uh, I'm 
this uh, thing that I've brought to show you later, this my new project, one of my new projects, which is called Pretty is Ugly, it's all about that. It's all about sort of encouraging young women to like have a voice and be cool and be a badass rather than like, you know, spend all day working on your eyebrows. Well, so, here's another thing. Okay, you, like you say right away, like you knew you wanted to sell this yeah. to Bliss Claymore in this amount of years. And you say it went out into, you put this out in the universe. Yeah. Aside from that, what else did you do? So worked really, really hard. And with that perspective, with, with that point, yeah, with yeah. that endpoint, you worked toward that endpoint specifically. Yeah, for sure. And then there was, I, you know, I think everything is energy. So we had some things come together that supported that dream manifesting. You had um, some circumstances line up. Yeah, we ha and then we had some circumstances not line up. Mm -hmm. okay, so like what, my favorite story of um, CNC California is uh, we were just a couple months old but we knew we were on to something because all of our friends were like freaking out and they couldn't get enough. Like they would buy five and they would come back the next week and want five more. And we had gone, when we had all our, all our samples made and we had gone down um, to the mart and we had gotten ourselves a rep. And it was like the best rep at the time. It was the rep who had seven for mankind. And they like immediately saw what we were doing and were like, this never happens and we want, we want these. What was the rep's name? Do you want to say? It was C Showroom at the time, a woman by the name of Leela Tillum, uh, who has mother jeans now. So she has her, she went on to have her own brand. Um, and it's a really good brand. But at the time, when we were making our samples, we were still, we, we had, we had met this, we had met this little guy who had like this little fabric closeout business. Mm -hmm. His office was in a shoebox, and when we figured out that the fabric was working, that he, he had this one fabric, and we were like, okay, we'll test it, and kind of, and it worked for yeah. what we wanted. And he had said, well, th this fabric was a mistake, but I'll buy all of it that exists. We bought it all. We made all of our samples. Then we get a showroom, and we're getting orders, and uh, find the fabric. And we go to buy more fabric from him. And we order like $20,000 worth of fabric and it comes back and it's nothing like the original fabric. It's all gauze. And we were like, holy shit, what do we do? And kind of in the ninth hour, I had made a phone call to an organization downtown. I don't know if it still exists. called Tella, Textiles Association of the Greater Los Angeles Area or something like that. And I asked what their three best mills in LA are. Oh, hello. My oh. dog just escaped. One of my dogs just escaped and just joined the conversation. Yes, yes, that's all right. I have three. So. And we had like maybe a half a yard of this fabric left, but we knew also how to tweak it to make it better, and we took it to these three mills, and one of them was able to ace it. The gauze. So you converted the fabric that you bought? Well, no, we had, so the fabric oh, oh, that we okay. had bought had was them, junk. Had, like right. we so left. So you had to just trash that? Yeah, we left it. And then they were, able to, they were able to reproduce? Yeah, the, we found a mill in the ninth hour that was able to reproduce. Uh, and when we were three months old, we were on Oprah's favorite things for spring. So it all happened very, very fast. And the night before that Oprah showing, I was like, oh, we have to throw a website up. It was like when websites were kind of first coming out, mm -hmm. right? So it was just like a splash page that was like, we exist and here's a couple, and we're in Nordstrom's. Right. So the afternoon of the Oprah show, Nordstrom's calls me on my cell phone and was like, you have to do something. Our phones have crashed because there's too many phone calls coming in. 
So it was kind of like amazing to be such That's a young kind of company. Well, it's crazy too because at this time, like the idea to have a website is like a brainstorm. It's like, yeah. oh my God, someone thought I'd have a website. Yeah. It's like that's totally. how. <clears throat> so that's oh, I how remember debating when it, when it came time whether or not we should have like a web store or not. Mm. Like I remember debating like, will people really buy online? Like don't they need to try it on? Like don't they need to feel the fabric? Mm. Is this going to be a waste of our time and money? And you went with it. Well, we went with one of those, at the time, there were companies who you basically split it with, like they did all the work and you right, split right. the, you, you split it they with They handled them. the shipping and the yeah. return. So it wasn't like, it was, it wasn't like it was really our website, like nowadays everybody has their own websites. Mm-hmm. This was just like some, allowing somebody else to do a website for yeah, us, yeah. basically. Do you want me to get rid of that dog? <clears throat> oh no, I'm fine. Okay, okay, good. I'm fine, thank you. I'm going to go completely off topic. Okay. <laughs> My wife and I were talking about this thing about uh, kid, people and parents. Yeah. And it seems like the younger, this, this generation, like, like, I'm not going to say label them as millennials, but there's a newer generation that seems to be like best friends with their parents. And they want to go on vacations with their parents. They want to be everywhere with yeah. their parents. Wow. And like we, when I grew up and my, my wife grew up, we were kind of like, uh, not exactly at war with our parents, but kind of like at war with our parents. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of conflict with the parents. What were you? What was your experience with your parents growing well, up? Well, this is like a really kind of interesting topic at this point in my life because I'm actually writing a lot about it for slowly but surely playing with two ideas. One of them, instead of flash fiction, I'm working on a group of flash memoirs. So there's all of these weird little like stories from me growing up or just the weirdness in my family, and I'm, I'm writing these little moments. And then I, uh, my family, my mother and father were landlords, slumlords, and every week something really, for years, every week something really bizarre happens, and um, I've had the same assistant for 16 years, and we call it slumlord dynasty. So all the time I'm like, okay, so what happened on today's episode of slumlord dynasty? And so with my writing partner, we're actually in the process of developing it into a TV horror story, mm-hmm. but that's a long I know that's a little bit off topic, but I just mentioned that. No, that's that. pretty on topic. Okay, I have no concept whatsoever of being somebody who uh, has like a, a really cheery relationship with their family. My, my, um, both my parents are are children of the Depression era. Mm-hmm. In my humble opinion, they both suffered from various kinds of mental illness. My mother is Southern, who has a self-proclaimed lizard tongue. Um, my favorite thing my mother has ever said to me is we were in a fight once because she, uh, I, I was feeling like she was taking me for granted, and she said to me, dear, you should feel grateful. You could have been flushed down a Tijuana toilet. So I. So have that's what a lizard tongue is. A lizard tongue is yes. shit like that. Yeah, yeah, like just like her, there's. Right. Sh- cold blooded. Very cold blooded we'll and reptilian. Oh, yes, and she'll say she'll just say she'll just say whatever you know. She, it's um, so this idea of having like a really like healthy new age kind of relationship with uh, family is completely foreign to me. I've. I have been in therapy for many, many years over it, and at this point in time, it just gets to be fuel for my fodder yeah. as far as 
you know, my writing Something goes. Else yeah. Right. yeah. So I've t I'm now turning it all into creativity. Yeah. yeah. That's what some perspective can do for you. Yeah. And that's great, right? Yeah. Like, I feel like, like, my bag of tricks now as far as, like, like moments, like, interesting, weird, funny moments that I can pull from, it's huge. Yeah. Especially this uh, slumlord... What was the Slumlord, Slumlord Dynasty? Slumlord Dynasty. Like, mm -hmm. there's a lot of room for humor in that. Oh, yeah. Very dark humor. But oh, yeah. That's the kind of humor that's kind of yeah. applicable today. I yeah. Think. So, we're th yeah, I wanted, I would love to try and pull off like a, like a, a funny horror. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somehow. I think it's there. Yeah. I so think so. So when you see like kids with their parents and they're going, hey, let's go to, let's go to Hawaii together, it's, it's alien to you as well. I, like, me yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I kind of, I, I mean, but I'm not a parent, right? Like, yeah. I'm a dog parent, so I, and I, pretty, I think, pretty consciously opted out of that. I don't think that being a parent in this lifetime is my karma. Um, so I can, I have my judgments. Um, I see, I see some friends of mine's kids pretty neurotic because I feel like they have made it so the kid is the head of the household right. and not the parent, right? right? Like, and it's I funny because it's hard, it's hard where, where, depending on where you say this particular yeah. line, the, the feedback is different. I know, <laughs> I know, I'm sure, I'm sure. Most of the things I think about kids and parents, I just don't say. Yeah. Just to, unless it's a great kid, I go, oh, that's a great kid. Totally. You got a great kid. Totally. And then otherwise, I just kind of like... And the great ones are, by the way, really great. Yeah. They, like, really are little smart people yeah. early on, and it's super fun to be around. And I know a couple of those, too, you know, but they, they are... I have noticed in my preference that my friends' kids that I like the best were given a good amount of independence mm -hmm. early on. Right. So, and then the ones that seem a little bit neurotic are the ones that were pretty dependent on the parents for a very long period yeah, of time. Yeah, all involved. But again, this is just my silly opinion. Cause yeah, I know. This is the thing about, I guess it's one of the most important things in the world, like raising kids. Yeah. But no one really knows how to do it. It's like the things that are really important, no one really knows yeah. how to do them. And, yeah. and you'll have all kinds of experts coming in and telling you how to do it, whether it's, whether it's meditating, whether it's like mm -hmm. seeking a spiritual connection, whether it's how to get from here to the west side. Yeah. No one really knows like yeah. the, the fail-safe way for anything. But you know, to that to the point of what you just said, I do feel I'm one of those believers that believe that there is some sort of awakening happening in the world right now. There is a uh, some some level of you know conscientiousness or consciousness that's coming into play, and in the small ways that does manifest in us relating to each other with more kindness, yeah. and that can start at the kid level where you're listening better you're not making decisions for the kid based upon only your needs but like really looking at the child and and going like oh who is this little being and it? how can I support yeah, it sure. so in that respect what's happening right now is pretty awesome and that definitely was not around when I was growing up we were I mean I was allowed to live my parents always had a beach house I grew up in San Diego and we had a beach house down in Mission Beach and I was allowed to live by myself down there with my two best friends part of the year starting at the age of 13. So now I look at 13-year-olds and I was like, wow, I was allowed to live by myself? Yeah. 
And on the beach, <laughs> on the party beach. On the party beach of San Diego. Yeah, yeah. San Diego when I was 13, which is, you know, like, again, I get to carry all of that, all of these, like, I love my stories, right? Like, I've made this television show. Well, you know what's crazy, too, is this, uh, like, you look at people's outcomes, mm-hmm. and there is, like, a certain percentage where, if, like, if you don't graduate from high school, there's a greater chance that your outcome is going to be prison. Right. Like if you, and there's, a, like, if you start using drugs or drinking at a certain age, there's a chance that your outcome is going to be prison. There's yeah. a chance that your outcome is going to be what your chances rise. But then there's people who, like, engage in these behaviors, or, or people who start relationships you, you see them at work and they're both married to someone else. They start a, a, an adulterous relationship at work. And then yeah. 25 years later, they have grandkids. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's again, yeah. like there's some kind of way to make things work. Like, yeah. like you can start off like in a really crap circumstance, yeah. like really bad decision, and sometimes it ends up okay. Yeah, I agree. But, but, well, there's but on one, the other yeah. hand, you know, it's, there's no use courting danger. No. <laughs> I mean, there is the theory that we're here to learn whatever lessons, right? And we do need to sometimes get ourselves into... I want easy lessons. You want from now on? (laughs) You want to be easy, else you're out. Easy lessons. I want stuff that I get in my mind around right away. Yeah. It has a reward right away. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Like when you learn to make a good omelet. Like the millennials nowadays. That's pretty much how Teach me how to make a good omelet. That's what I want, all right? So there's my lesson. Now you can make a good omelet. You know, it's painless. There's a payoff. Yeah. That's... I think and that's I, great. I feel like I think that's great. I feel it's not a bad attitude. <laughs> yes. I feel it's not necessarily Most the wrong attitude. Most people make attitude. it far too complicated, yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Just go how it goes. Yeah, okay. That's... Okay, Punk, we started talking because someone tagged you or tagged me because you, you bought a full edition of Slash Magazine. Yes. And someone tagged me on that because I had written for Slash Magazine right. when I was 20, 21. Yeah. So what is, because when I look at the clothes you've designed, I don't necessarily see a lot of, like, I don't see studs. I don't see, like, what, yeah. what is normally thought of or nominally thought yeah. of as the punk style. Right. So what is your connection with punk, and how does it, how does it play out in, in what you do? Um, so I started hitchhiking to punk rock shows when I was, like, 13, 14 years old in San Diego. And at that time in my life, my going back to family, the household I, was, I grew up in was really difficult. My father father suffered from pretty extreme depression and was in and out of hospitals. And my mother, you know, she had a lot of rage at that time. And somebody one day, one night invited me to go see Decline of Western Civilization. And I showed up and I was like, my people. And I felt really, really like safe. Mm-hmm. And from that moment on, I made all of these like punk friends and I would go to punk shows and there was like a punk house that I would run away to sometimes. And, and I had all of these like great weirdos and misfits around me that like made me feel totally safe and at home. Right. Because you're not an outlier all of a sudden. No. And also, I was surrounded by a bunch of really awesome creatives. And, you know, there was just a really different attitude about being creative back then, which meant, like, really understanding what your voice was and what you had to say and being authentic and not being a poser. Not being a poser. Not being a poser. And so I, a couple... Circling back to the Slash magazine, so a couple years ago, as I'm sort of figuring out what 
my next creative step is, going back to your first question, um, I, I have a sauna at my house and I go in almost every day and I do a little meditation. And I was in the sauna, I guess this was about three years ago now, and um, the phrase pretty is ugly just came through. And I kind of am smart enough with my meditation at this point in my life of, I get that clear of something coming through. I like, I, oh, that means something. Um, but I didn't know what it was at first. And I was, I remember taking it to my therapist and going like, oh, this phrase came through. I think I'm supposed to do something with it, but I don't know what it is. Um, so I looked at a, a bunch of ideas, make a long story short, I ended up um, coming up with this idea for a television show that um, really draws from those, those morals and those experiences that I, adopted um, from the punk scene as a 13, 14, 15 year old, you know, young, young woman. Um, and with a partner in New York, writing partner in New York, we've written a television show that we're now shopping. It's called Pretty is Ugly. Um, and it takes place between a sliver of the Los Angeles punk scene in 1982 and the fit, a fictional town called Red Lakes, California in the present future. Okay. Both leads are female, mm -hmm. and the the overall arc of the story is, you know, what I mentioned before about like being a badass, knowing, having an authentic voice, and making the choices to use it. In fact, to your point earlier, our, our lead character Eagle Reed, she decides that she doesn't want to go to college like all of her friends, and she's pretty shamed for it. And it's her journey of finding herself, starting with this decision to not go to college. So, so I needed... So do you have the characters that they're set? So the, the two primary characters, are they, are they operating back in 1982 so and then also in 2018? One of them is. Of them. So in 1982, we follow a 15-year-old runaway mm -hmm. named Nicole who finds herself in the punk world of LA and it's her, we follow her trials and tribulations, figuring out who she is mm -hmm. in the world of music in Los Angeles back then. Right. Um, we you know how to get safe then. Yeah, and so the show is full of really awesome, like, fake bands. Mm -hmm. um, we actually have a really cool person, I can't say who it is, but who wants to do all the music for it, so when the time comes. And then in the, in the uh, present future, uh, Nicole, her name has changed over the years to Nico, mm -hmm. and um, she owns a store uh, and uh, a young woman by the name of Eagle comes in needing a job. And so this, the story really is about dreams and how we, how we dream and the things that we choose and regret. So with Nicole slash Nico, mm -hmm. we follow her story of like her regrets and then her through this relationship with this young woman who reminds her of herself um, learning to dream again, mm -hmm. and then we see um, Nicole mentoring Eagle as she stumbles her way through music and creativity and finding her voice, and her really guiding her so that she doesn't make the same mistakes she right, did. Right. So it's a real sort of like Malcolm McLaren. I pulled from so I pulled from Alice Bag. I pulled from Malcolm McLaren. I I pulled from X-ray specs. So all of the I pulled from you. Like mm -hmm. I read your book. Which is was awesome it and sounds, super helpful. Sassy, I had an idea to do a show about um, like sixty-year-old punk rockers. 
like I'll yeah, get you should. <laughs> just like get ready to get so just hanging on for that to get yeah. that social security check. Yeah. And they've been hanging on since you know 1977. But there's some wisdom there too that the world some really needs to hear at this but point. Did you ever remember that show? What was it called? The Young Ones or something? Oh, yeah, it was of the course. The MTV show and yes. the guy with the hammer. And the, yeah. I was thinking more like that, but but yeah. you know, mixed gender, more gen- more, yeah. <laughs> more yeah. inclusive, like an yeah. inclusive bunch of. Well, that's one of the cool things about the punk scene back then, right? It was like super, like mixed race. It was fantastic. And I had Alice Bags over here there, um, two weeks ago, when we were, and we were talking about. Oh, it. That's so cool. Yeah. She's so cool. I've, I've. But it was like the women. The women yeah. were on equal footing with them. It was totally. not a conscious decision. Nope. It wasn't because anyone was trying to be feminist. And by the way, across the board, in America and London, mm-hmm. like and mm-hmm. New York, like everybody talks about yeah. how it was. There was f- full gender yeah. e- equality. Well, we were talking about how many bands had a woman in the band, yeah. and, there is, and, and lots of them, the woman was the front, but yeah. lots of them they would play bass or they play the drums or the. Or yeah. It, it was just like really a, a kind of like a great little moment, and then like the the what we called the jocks, the hundred yeah. years jock, they came and then all of a sudden there's no women in front of the stage. There's no. And so funny. Very few, much fewer, many fewer women on the stage. Yeah. It's so interesting. Yeah. And then she, you know, Alice moved to Arizona. Right. Although now she's going really strong. But. I decided for my, like, proof of, so we've written, we've written pretty much the entire first season of it. But in order to, it's my first, it's me shopping my first TV show. So I decided as my proof of concept, I would write a fanzine for the world that, we created Mm -hmm. and I started by going okay I need to go back and I need to read Slash Magazine because I love just the smug language the inside jokes Mm -hmm. did you find any lobotomies there was one the Pleasant Gaiman had had one called Lobotomy and that was in LA and it was she she made it on a Xerox machine there was probably like oh that's cool maybe nine I don't know how many issues I don't know if she had four issues I don't know if she had 14 issues Wow. But I don't know if you can get those on eBay or not. And then I'll look. I had a, my former wife, her name was Delphina. Uh-huh. She did one, it was one issue, and it was called Female Trouble. I don't know if that's available anywhere. Because, oh again, God. it was on Xerox, and she yeah. made maybe, you know, 80 copies. Of yeah. One. But there, there, they, th- there's another one. Uh, there was one called Contemplo Trends. There was another one that Pleasant did. Like, Pleasant did a couple of them. That's so cool. But they really... Because they were way different than Slash. Yeah. You know, and and then the whole like in, the whole like gossipy thing was yeah. was fantastic. Oh my God! I need to find them. I would so cool. I would try even I would okay, I would I will. literally you know everything is around yeah. you know and, and you part, maybe it's a fake maybe it's someone copying yeah. a copy but still you see what it was. Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. That's yeah. great to know. But so I those slashes were great. I mean, we so the slash because I thought you were getting the slashes for some of the fashion inspiration, but well, that's you, part of it. So but I, it's also to try to help. Yeah, I mean, it was mainly for this. So my my ode to Slash for my fake zine is ca- called Crash. Um, and it's really just a proof of concept of my television show. And we can look through it later. But it's was, you know, a real amalgamation between, like, my point of view. And I, I was just very inspired by a lot of the smug moments and, you know, the way in which language or point of view was so smartly used. People were very sure of themselves. I dig uh, it, Back too. then, yeah. very sure of themselves. Yeah. I mean, I, I... I mean, looking forward, like, they had no reason to be. Right, Like, no. you'll see what happened to so many people. Yeah. But everybody was sure that they were going to be 
famous and a millionaire. Yeah. There's just, and everybody's worldview, there's a lot of certainty in, our, yeah. in the worldviews. Yeah. And, the, the and world smart people, smart people being, doing like weird stuff, feeling certain about it. Yeah. Like, what more do you want? What more? I, I, <laughs> right? Like, who cares about the outcome? No, like, you're 21 years old. moment is you're so 21 years old. You're like, yeah. You're, you know, you're kind of drinking really bargain basement alcohol. It's yeah. fantastic. It's so great. Yeah. Let me ask you, okay, one more question because we're kind of running, we're stretching the time limit. Okay. Is, uh, some people say fashion is frivolous. Yeah. Uh, but other people say that, that individual style is one of the most important things a person needs to, to develop. So yeah. how, how do you feel about the, these two things? Is there a conflict there? Or? Well, there's a conflict just, uh, in our society with it right now. 100% the, there is something super important about someone's own person, like figuring out their own personal style, right? I'm a really big fan, fan of like figuring out whether it's your home, your clothing, whatever, to have your outsides, outsides match the insides mm -hmm. and to have that all be like a personal statement of your own personal art choices, right? Like like your beautiful home here, it's a reflection of who you are and I think that should be important for everyone um, as opposed to like, you know, here is your boutique hotel version of your life and your Crate and mm. Barrel, no offense to Crate and Barrel, they have some cool pieces you can like mix with other stuff or your, you know, disposable clothing, trend seeking societal movement and that's super unfortunate. I was I was really really into New York Fashion Week this year. It just passed, and I'm I can say that I'm really excited because I I saw fashion getting weird again. And I was actually just having a conversation with a friend of mine who has a 20 year old daughter studying fashion in New York, and I'm like, that's so that must be so fun. Like if she really embraces this moment, and allows herself to get weird with it. What's weird? Like who is being weird? I mean, I don't know. I all the names of these. Yeah, you know, I know that there's a. The, but it's younger people. Yeah, it's younger. Like a, there's a designer by the name of Colleen Estrada um, that she's getting to be pretty well known, and she, you know it's pretty weird. But even like the Mark Jacobs show, which was like like kind of hideous in a great way, mm -hmm. people are allowing themselves to have starting to have ha allow themselves to have fun with fashion again. And if you're going to be weird with it, it has to be a, you know, there's a friend of mine who's a blogger and I just have watched her progress over the last few years. Um, and over the last year specifically, like she's just gotten like really weird and like her photo, like she shoots these photos and it's not like they're polished whatsoever. And she dresses really weird. The, the, she, the, she's a blogger. She goes by always judging mm -hmm. and good term. Right, and I and I and I look at like how I I've I look at how I've watched her even shift, and that's cool, you know. And the conversation I'm having or wanting to have, anyways, is like hoping that music follows suit. Like if fashion is gonna get really weird and raw and authentic yeah. again, right? That it's not mass produced. That the right. sort of like mass produced digital something, tinniness something and music. Be, something that can't be co-opted. Yeah, like what's what's you know like is it, yeah I maybe I'm political thought will follow follow maybe <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe it may be part of like what you're talking about like there's some uh, the new thing coming yeah is just getting out of the formation I mean I tend to be an optimist and if I'm gonna be you know it's like I'll hook on something and I'm definitely weirdness is weirdness is very necessary oh it's so great.
It just makes me so happy. And you know, I mean, little things like uh, there's a band here in town that's kind of has a buzz going called Starcrawler. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're, I never heard of them. I saw them play. I, they played. They opened up for the Distillers the other night. And you know, she's weird and great. And uh, yes, all of her music sounds like the stuff we listened to from the late seventies. Um, but it's kind of cool, and she's weird, and they definitely perform on stage. And it just was refreshing. So I, there's, I'm, I'm catching moments of authenticity happening again, um, and that gives me a place. lot of hope. Yeah, gives me, gives me. It makes, if nothing else, it makes me so freaking happy. Okay, we'll stop this edition of Skeevland right here. It's time for you to go out and get weird on your own. Skeevland is presented with encouragement and assistance from Rare Bird Books. If you want to know more about Alan McDonnell or the Skeev or Rare Bird Books, go to theskeev.com and rarebirdbooks.com. Thanks again to Tyson Cornell and Julia Callahan and Jessica S. Skeevland, it's not the worst place you could be.